Hello, this is Search for Truth. We appreciate your company and are pleased you can join us. We're here today with programme three in our four-part series called The Power and the Glory of God's Kingdom. Today our Bible teacher Brian is talking about the contemporary kingdom. So now let's listen to Brian as he tells us more about it. With the arrival on the scene of John the Baptist, there came the dawn of a new age. After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We find those words in Mark chapter 1. So the same message that John had preached was taken up by our Lord and later by his apostles as well. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And later he sent out his apostles to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. There could be little doubt that the kingdom was at hand, for it had drawn near in the person of its king. Jesus declared that he was the Son of Man, the one to whom the kingdom was to be given, according to the prophet Daniel's vision. And the saints of the Most High, who were to receive the kingdom, included Jesus' followers, to whom he said at the Last Supper, I appoint unto you a kingdom, even as my Father appointed to me. But there was a strange sense in which the kingdom was both already here and also not yet here. Consider, on the one hand, how the Lord said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Those were Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12. And they seemed to imply that the kingdom of God had indeed already come upon them. But had it? This is where it gets a little confusing. Jesus seems at first to be saying two different things. First, that the kingdom of God had come. Then, trying to rid people of the idea that it had already come or was even going to come immediately. For example, when he told a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Clearly, in Luke chapter 19 there, the Lord didn't want them to suppose that the kingdom of God was soon to appear. But yet, he'd already said that it had already come upon them. How can we reconcile this? It seems Jesus taught two aspects of the kingdom. The kingdom is firstly inconspicuous. It's a spiritual kingdom, one that's characterised by gradual, invisible development. This is actually the beginning phase of its final outward fulfilment. The Lord brought both forms of the kingdom together in some of his parables. Speaking of its present hidden development, he said, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Those are the Lord's words from Mark chapter 4. This was the farming analogy which the Lord used to reconcile these seemingly contradictory features of God's kingdom. What becomes ultimately a visible crop to be harvested starts out life as a hidden seed developing under the ground for long periods without human involvement. The kingdom of God had indeed come with our Lord's first advent, 
but not in a way that's outwardly visible, and certainly not as a military show of human might. This is not to deny there's something going on now. However, the fully ripe kingdom is future, as the Lord made clear when he told them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognise that the kingdom of God is near. Those were the Lord's words in Luke chapter 21, verse 29. This describes the sudden arrival of the kingdom in a highly conspicuous form. Long after Jesus' death, things were going to be different. Israel would get what it was looking for, but only way into the future. If that was going to be a long wait, the Lord had a message for the followers he left behind waiting for Pentecost. Appearing to them, Acts chapter 1 tells us, over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. If we're in danger of being confused by Jesus' words, the Jews themselves were certainly wrong-footed by their reading of the Old Testament. They wanted the power and the glory sooner rather than later, even Jesus' closest followers. But at this stage, the power Jesus promised was spiritual, as it centred on the impending power of the Holy Spirit. Even to this day, it's not for us to know the time when this great kingdom will come to earth. Even after Jesus' resurrection, they continued to hope that he might immediately fulfil those hopes that they had cherished since before his passion. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But from Pentecost onwards, that's the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit came, they knew that the gospel of the kingdom, which they had to announce, was good news about a spiritual kingdom initially. And there were three main parts to the gospel which Peter then preached. First, that the time predicted in the Old Testament had arrived, seen in the birth, life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, the time had arrived. Secondly, that Jesus, crucified on earth, is now exalted in heaven. And this was evidenced, Peter taught, by the activity of the Holy Spirit seen in believers' lives then. And thirdly, the third part of his gospel preaching was that this present age will climax in the return of Christ, and hence the appeal that he made for repentance with the offer of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit and salvation. Some texts from the book of Acts show there are definitely things we're meant to be doing while we wait for that fully ripe form of the kingdom. Let's look at some verses which give us an updated picture of what it means to show respect right now for God's rule. When they believed Philip, this is from Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, men and women alike. Then again we read in Acts chapter 14, after Paul and his companions had made many disciples, they returned, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, they went on their way. 
So matters such as believer's baptism, keeping the faith, the teaching of the apostles, and being in a local church with elders, when they're all taken together, they show the way in which we're meant to give expression to the as yet spiritual kingdom today. Certainly, we can continue what was begun by the apostles. Showing respect for God's rule today takes place at a spiritual level in terms of the obedience of faith when we organise ourselves just as the first Christians did 2,000 years ago. Where such submission to kingdom rule is seen overall in the New Testament is in terms of a company of disciples, all baptised by immersion in water, all added locally to Church of God Fellowship, all within an overall community, serving according to one pattern of teaching everywhere, maintained under a fellowship of elders and separated to God. It's both natural and biblical to associate God's rule at this present time with the sphere in which submission to it is most clearly seen. And this, most assuredly, is in Christian testimony which is organised along New Testament lines. In other words, Christian testimony organised in this biblical way answers to the kingdom of God as it was seen in the Old Testament in which faithful Israel conditionally expressed God's kingdom by obediently following the teaching which they too had received. Throughout the New Testament, God's word joins together various theological terms which evoke Old Testament history in a way that's specially relevant to the kingdom of God as it was expressed back then. For example, Jesus says, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people or nation producing the fruit of it. He said that in Matthew 21, 43. And then again in Luke 12 and 32, he says, Don't be afraid, little flock, in other words, his disciples, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And then in Revelation 1 and 6, the Apostle John says, He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Whereas the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, he says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Peter's words there are so reminiscent of that gathering of the Israelite tribes at the foot of Mount Sinai, aren't they? Compare those things that we've read from Peter. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Compare those things with what we can read in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. They're exactly the same. So much so that we have to conclude it's deliberate. And we have to understand that God is giving us here through the New Testament a kingdom update. All believers belong to the not-yet-here kingdom. But not all believers belong to the already-here kingdom, which in its present spiritual expression demands obedience to the Lord's teaching through his apostles. At the first coming of Christ, the age to come invaded the present age, so that the two ages, the age to come and the present age, now overlap each other. And this overlapping lasts from our Lord's first coming to his second coming. This whole overlapping period is, in a sense, what the Bible calls the last hour, which is prolonged only through the patience of God. It marks both the end of the old age and the beginning of the new age. In the overlap, all believers 
belong prophetically to the coming kingdom in the age yet to come. And among those believers currently living in this age are those who, like their identical counterparts 2,000 years ago, may equally, on biblical grounds, claim to give an interim picture of that ultimate rule of God in the age to come. Righteousness is always necessary for its expression, the expression of the kingdom. This condition of obedience to the Lord's teaching agrees with what was formerly required of Israel nationally. In the future, of course, all disobedience will have been entirely eliminated. There's a transcript booklet for this series. If you'd like one or more for group study, ask for the title The Power and the Glory of God's Kingdom. You can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 70115, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi. The email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you can also find past programmes and helpful material on our website, go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So thank you for the pleasure of your company today. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. So do join us again, please, next week if you can. But until then, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye for now. And as always, may God richly bless you. We've a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord.